Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Woodington. And Ian... How are you doing? I'm good. Fantastic. I'm excellent. How are you? I cannot complain. Very good. I am Jim Dandy. Jim Jim Dandy? Yep. I thought you were Adam. I am. I am. I just like to say Jim Dandy. All right. It's kind of a fun thing to say. Okay. It's an old-timey, almost silent era thing, you might Ooh, say. Very nice. But we're not we're not quite there yet. Ian, what's something you've seen recently, good or bad? Um haven't made my mind up about this one yet. It's still permeating. Ooh. It's still I'm, I'm still working out my opinion of it. It's uh, a Ben Wheatley film. Uh, English filmmaker. He made um, High Rise and recently Free Fire. I know he just had a film premiere at the London Film Festival. Who They, they changed the name of it, which kind of bummed me out a little bit. The original title for this film that he's just made was Colin Uanus. <laughs> great title. They've changed it to Happy New Year, Colin. Or ah. something along those lines. But uh, the film of his that I watched uh, is a little black and white film he made about 2013 or so called A Field in England. I've never even, I've never even heard of it. It's on it's on Prime. Oh, great. There's, so there you go. There's a little plug for, for Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, Field in England. It's set during the English Civil War. So we're talking uh, mid-1600s, 1640s, 1650s. Um, and... It's so low budget that there's no actual battles in it. There's just battle noises. Everything is like on the other side of a hedge. And so it starts where this, um, this manservant has, has run off. Um, and he's fleeing from the battle scene. Uh, his master has just been killed. He was actually played by Julian Barrett, who gets top billing. And then, you know, this isn't really a spoiler. He dies two minutes in. Ah. But he gets top billing. Um simply because I think they were listing names alphabetically, but still, I think that's a bit ridiculous that he's in it for two minutes. Um, people might know him from The Mighty Boosh, which is a British alternative uh, kind of sketch comedy. Uh, very famous for the old Greg skit, which, now you're, you're looking I, at me. You, I know like you guys a, can't a see this, but I am, I am, I am just, I am just basking Greg. in this, this I'm weird old Greg. world of I drink Baileys from a English. shoe. No. <laughs> No. Okay. No. <laughs> He's got a mangina. No, none of that's ringing a bell. Wait, 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 wait. I know that from something else, though. You know that? Okay. It's... He's got well, a... He's yeah. got a mangina. He lifts up the tutu and he blinds Julian Barrett with his mangina. I know that from, like, a movie, I think. Okay. Somebody making fun of Will Ferrell, I want to say. I'm sure they stole that from Mike. I'm Bush. sure they did, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so... Oh, no, it's Step Brothers. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well, I think... When was Mighty Boosh was about 2003, 2004? Oh, it was so that, definitely so before that, Step Brothers. Yeah, yeah, so that makes sense. There's a good chance that got that got ripped off. Um, so Field in England, uh, he the, the manservant runs off and he runs into a couple other guys. The whole film is in black and white and these guys are making their way towards an alehouse because they're like, they've given up on the war. They're like, the hell with this. We're going to go get pissed at the alehouse and find ourselves some women. And they come across a field and in this field they find like this leftover campsite where these guys are making some sort of mushroom stew or mushroom soup and they eat it and two of the guys immediately start to go a bit, they go over a little bit. So there's a, there's a bit of a psychedelic element to the film. They end up meeting a, uh, uh, an alchemist who is searching for this buried something or other. I mean the plot starts to go off the deep end really quick. Yeah, there's all kinds of insane uh, camera tricks that they do with it and all kinds of like psychedelic stuff that they do with it. And it's in black and white and it's a super short film. I don't even think it's 90 minutes long, but okay. it's just, uh, 
It's a it's a cool little experimental film that doesn't really go anywhere, as most of Ben Wheatley's stuff does. It just kind of ends. I don't, right. you, I don't know if you saw Free Fire or, or High Rise. No, I haven't. Uh, I, I'd recommend them, but with some slight trepidation. Okay. Yeah. All right. What have you got for us? Well, I do not have a film that I'm going to recommend. Uh, it came up when we were chatting a couple episodes ago. I brought up that I saw The Raid and enjoyed it. And in our, our banter back and forth, uh, you came up with Crank. Oh. As sort of a high octane paced actiony kind of well, movie, it's, it's certainly high octane. Sure. Oh boy, here we go. Um, here's the thing: I don't mind a bad movie if it's a good bad movie, but I just think this is a bad bad movie. Oh, that wounds me. So, if you haven't seen Crank, J- Jason Statham plays—is it Chev Chelios? Or- Chet Chelios. Chet or Chev? Oh, Chev? I, I thought think it was Chev. I, I think it is Chev. No, I think you're right. Chev Chelios. Based... Which is just a great name. Oh, sh- sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> he wakes up. He finds out he's been injected with some Chinese... Synthetic Synthetic shit. poison that is slowly killing him. And that's a big ha-ha, you're gonna die. Except, of course, there's a way this can be prevented. It's if he keeps his adrenaline up. So he does all of these ridiculous things to do that. Running, fighting, sex. Insane car chase for the mall where he, like, flips the car and lands it on the escalator. A la Blues Brothers, which did it much better, I must well, say. Yeah, nobody does it better than Blues Brothers. That's, that's very... The, the, the car crashes in that movie are ridiculous. Yeah. But, I don't know. These And these movies are different, but Con Air, to me, is a good, bad movie. No, I'd still take Crank every day of the week. Over, over Conair. Over Conair. You un-American bastard. Well, that, yeah, that, that fits. I, that's true. That's true. That's not really an insult. That's just me <laughs> stating facts. That, yeah, that's just, yeah. But I can't in good conscience recommend this movie. Oh, uh, I can. I, I just, I can't do it. There are other movies like that that I feel like I would recommend first. Conair being one almost anything by John Woo I would say is kind of up there. Oh, that's cold, man. A good good bad movie. You you would recommend Mission Impossible 2 over Crank. I would. Wow. I would. That's wow, we've we've really found the great divide then. Ooh, lovely. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> so, not not a real recommendation for me for Crank. I mean, honestly, unless you're going to get really drunk with a bunch of people. Unless you're going to get really cranked up. Ah, uh, yeah, there it is. All right. However, Crank kind of segues into the movies we're going to talk about today. Do they, though? They do in a, in a kind of in a way. Um, and we are going to do our first ever double feature episode. And we are doing our oldest films. We are talking about Buster Keaton today. And we are going to talk about Sherlock Jr. and The General. The reason I say it's a little bit like Crank is only in the terms of how intense the stunts were. And Buster Keaton, if he's not anything, he is a world-class stuntsman. Oh, yeah, no, he's a master of physicality. But before we hop into plot and what we think of the movies, here's just a little bit about them. Uh, Sherlock Jr. came out in 1924. This movie... As a lot of the movies we've talked about so far have, um, is now in the National Film Registry. Inducted in uh, 1991. Indeed. The AFI made a list of the funniest films 
of all time back in 2012. This was ranked number 62. And it's number 166 on IMDb's top 250. I don't know how I feel about that. Neither do I. Okay. That's fair. Also, this is something I found interesting. It was ranked number 61 in a list of the best edited films of all time as selected by the Motion Pictures Guild or the Motion Picture Editors Guild. Interesting. And I can't, I find that one easier to agree with than the IMDb 250 and where it lands on that. What, what was it that struck you about the editing then? Him, when he's the projectionist and he wakes up and his, his, his sleeping self is still sitting yeah. on, the, on the chair. And all the editing when he enters the world of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all that. Yeah. And he happens to, you know, he's walking one way and then all of a sudden he's somewhere else. And, and the way that everything was edited together. Which is incredible how they did that because they had to use legit surveying equipment in order to get, you know, the distances and things like that, which now you would just drop in a green screen and do whatever. Which but. is why it's an, it's not just impressive for the time, but it's impressive anyway because of the practicality. Because right. they didn't have, I don't want to say green screening is a cheat, but you can do anything now in a movie with the help of CGI and green screen. Right. So the fact that they did do what they were able to do, not just for the fact that it was 1924, but just in general... I find that pretty impressive. Yeah, well, and and not just to say that, as I said earlier, he's a master of physicality. He is just ahead of his time. Yeah. It, he was years ahead of anybody else in what he was trying to visualize. Yeah, I would agree with that. So do we want to do a little bit of history about Keaton as a person? I, I've got some stuff here. If you I want. would Go ahead, man. So Buster Keaton, for those of you who don't know, he was born Joseph Frank Keaton on October the 4th, 1895 in Piqua, Kansas. He had Vaudevillian parents. Uh, he got his name Buster from Houdini, uh, because him and his father owned a traveling show together, and after taking a, f- a fall down a long flight of stairs at 18 months, he got back up without injury, hence Buster. His, uh, he's known for having that deadpan expression that, that's a very tr- it's his kind of trademark. Everything he does, he does with that. The, the great stone face yep. is what they used to call him. Uh, and that comes from... When they were doing their show together, when he was uh, quite young, his his father they would do they would do a show. It was the three of them: the the, the three Keatons, the mother, and his father, and and him. And uh, the show usually involved him defying his father in some way or another and being thrown what looked like quite violently, but landing very safely. Yeah, which of course got them in all kinds of trouble with like, child abuse suits and things like that. But um, it comes the, the going back to the deadpan thing that comes from him realizing that oh when I'm smiling and laughing while this is happening people aren't laughing because they see that I'm having a good time and they realize it's just an act I need to do this stone faced so that's that's where that comes from I thought that was a cool little uh, and I I like that too cool that's a, that's something that we actually when when you do theater when you do acting classes they talk about that that you don't necessarily want to cry a lot or laugh a lot on stage because you rob the audience of the experience. Yeah. The idea is that you, 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 you not internalize it, but you don't have to show it necessarily. Tears don't like, we don't have to see tears and know that you're sad. We can understand the situation and know it. And it's the, it's the not wanting to laugh. It's the not wanting to cry that gets us to kind of have that reaction. Mm. When we see characters living in the, the zaniness of a certain world but not being able to necessarily, what am I trying to say? 
they can't acknowledge that it's happening. Right. That's where the fun is. So I, I and it's interesting to think about the two, I would say most iconic silent film stars in America, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, how different their approaches to the acting was. Hmm. Because Chaplin was very expressive. Yeah. But no, it was all about being emotive with him. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like you just said, Keaton was the polar opposite. In fact, I found another uh, cool little fact. You bringing up Chaplin brings to mind another little fact that I found out is they were in competition to see who could make a film with the with the least amount of titles. I, I do. Did I, you find that one? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is when I'm looking at Sherlock, I'm like, I, f- I really feel like Sherlock could have done with a few more titles. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I got enough of the story. You did? Yeah. Okay. There was just a handful of times where I'm like, oh, man, I could have done with just a, maybe a little bit more of, of the dialogue there. Just sure. Kind of, you know, it's it's by the time you get to the end of the movie, I mean, you, you know what's going on. Yeah. You know what everybody's motivations are. But it would have been nice just to have a little bit of, of nuance with, with some more dialogue there, I think. So a little bit more information about Keaton uh, as it relates to getting into film. He got into film after meeting Fatty Arbuckle in 1917, and he had a bit of trepidation about the film medium at first. Uh, I know his dad wasn't a huge fan of it. They wanted to stay together uh, in the traveling show. But he... Uh, he he was given a camera by Arbuckle, and he took it back to his, his hotel room or wherever he was, and he took the thing apart and rebuilt it that night. And that's he discovered his, his love of, of the camera through that, just like figuring out how it worked for himself, uh, and very quickly became Arbuckle's uh, assistant director and you know, number one gag writer, uh, first appearing in Arbuckle's feature, uh, The Butcher Boy, also in 1917. So after he was in The Butcher Boy, he got discovered by uh, Joseph M. Schenck, who was one of the big, like, number one Hollywood luminaries, one of the big heads of the studio. He's one of the first members, one of the original members of the Academy. Uh, He helped establish 20th Century Fox with Daryl Zanuck and uh, made the merger happen between Metro and Goldwyn, making the MGM studio that we know now. Yep. And after some, uh, a, a little bit of failure with the general, uh, he kind of got creative control taken away from him and uh, had a bit of a rough patch in the 30s, but bounced back in the 40s. He got remarried and it was starting to appear on television and uh, in a lot of cameo appearances and stuff like Around the World in 80 Days, Sunset Boulevard, and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, his final film appearance was in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum in 1966, and unfortunately he succumbed to lung cancer uh, the same year. He was given an honorary Academy Award before he died. Uh, the, it was given to him in April of 1960, and he was cited by Orson Welles and Roger Ebert as one of the greatest clowns in cinema history. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say yes or no when it's not really something of our time. Right. You know, I mean, I know who, like, our comedians are now and where they're going to rank in the grand scheme of things. Who knows? But... I mean, Buster Keaton's very iconic. Yeah. He's and, created some very iconic images. And his influence is, is very far, far-reaching. far I mean, if you want to tie it into modern times, one of his most recent, uh, most recently cited influences is actually uh, Johnny Knoxville of Jackass, actually cites him as a huge influence on what he does. In fact, even at the end of the second Jackass movie, he recreates that stunt with the... The, the falling, house falling. Yeah, the, front yeah. Of the facade of the house falling, which is a super dangerous stunt. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that could... I mean, that, if that goes wrong, that can kill you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's and that's good. And it's it's... I think we're losing that physical comedy nature of films. Yeah. 
because everything now is is you want quick, snappy, witty dialogue. I mean, you look at stuff like uh, so. We were talking about Step Brothers yeah. earlier. You, you look at something like that where it's just it's that fast back and forth improvisational kind of thing. That's that's kind of the comedy of of today is being quick witted and delivering something that is both you know witty and you know piercing. Yeah. So the other film, uh, obviously, that we're going to talk about is The General. That comes out three years later in 1927. Did have a premiere in Tokyo at the end of the year, 1926, though. Oh, yeah, I was unaware of that. Yeah, premiered on uh, New Year's Eve at a couple of small little theaters in Tokyo. Well, that's there fun. They're dropping knowledge bombs on you. I, I, can't, I can't even see. The truth is just scattering my vision. It's blinding. Um, some things about uh, The General... The National Film Registry. Again. In 1989. The first year that there I, was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One of the, so one of the first batch of films ever inducted into the National Film Registry. Which included others like Gone with the Wind and things like that. Things of that nature. But this, this film is interesting, and we'll get, in, get into this more later, but this really was a film that was not critically successful, and over time has kind of built up its reputation. Yeah, for, no, it's it's famous for losing money and being widely panned just across the board but, at the time. But just to show how much it's been accepted since, the last time the AFI updated their top 100 films in 2007, it wasn't on the first list, and somehow in this next list, not only did it make it, but it jumped all the way to 18. That's incredible. Which is yeah, it's which number is, it's number eighteen on AFI's top one hundred. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, yeah, I'm extremely conflicted. Yeah, I'm trying to not say all my feelings right now. But and it is it is slightly above uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Sherlock, excuse me. It is slightly above Sherlock Junior as well. It's number one fifty three in IMDb's top two fifty. Correct. Yeah, Roger Ebert was in love with this movie. This is one of the... Oh, yeah, that's what I found as well. One of the great movies that he, you know, in that in the book he wrote, it's one of the few in there as one of the great movies of all time. Meanwhile, uh, critics at the time, I've got one guy in particular, uh, Mordaunt Hall of the oh, New York Times. I found this one Did too. Did you find that review? Yep. The production itself is singularly well-mounted, but the fun is not exactly plentiful. Yep. I, yep. I love the... Uh, there's a slight passive aggressiveness about that that I like. Yeah. Oh, man. So I'm going to – I think this will be – before we launch into other things about the movies or our feelings about the movies, and there are plenty of things, good and bad, that we'll talk about with them. So watching these movies and prepping for recording this podcast, I wrote down multiple times through watching both of the movies how impressive what he was doing was. as From a physicality standpoint from the stunt work and even you know in Sherlock Jr. specifically the 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 trickery the editing of that movie I was I was impressed but not necessarily entertained and I'm actually going to read from our book of wonders a thousand one movies you must see before you die this is from Ian Hayden Smith who I believe is one of the editors of the book he says that A Thousand One Movies You Must See Before You Die was never intended as a best-of collection. And he ends this paragraph by saying, You may consider some entries to be insufficiently artful or far too rarefied for mass appeal, depending on your taste. 
Yet every film chosen will provoke a reaction, either good or bad, but never indifferent. And so I don't want us to necessarily recommend movies because there's an obligation to do it. We've just listed off all these accolades that both these movies have have done. And I'm not prefacing my answer now one way or the other, but I don't want us to necessarily feel like, oh, we have to we have to say these movies deserve to be in the book because it's Buster Keaton and he's an icon and one of them's on the AFI Top 100. That, that means it, has, it should be in the book. Everybody should have to see this movie. And I want us to definitely feel like we're putting movies forward that we truly, honestly believe deserve to be in the book. And I know, I think I stand alone really by being the only one who's not recommended a movie so far, however many episodes in we are with not wanting Badlands in there. But I feel like, you know, as we go through, we're going to find these movies that just don't click with us. And I honestly, I think that's a generational thing. I, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, this I, was... I don't, I don't think they're, they're bad films. I don't think they're not valid. It's just that times have changed as far as what we consider to be entertaining. Sure. What we consider to be funny, especially. Yeah. When you watch these movies, how did you see them? Where did you find them? Where did I find these specifically? Yes. Well, they're they're both in the public domain. Yes. So they're on YouTube. Yes. Now, here's an interesting thing. So the general is listed at 75 minutes. That's how long the book says it. IMDb says it. It's 75 minutes long. I have a disc copy of it. I'm a dork and I want to own all of the AFI Top 100 movies. So at one point it was on sale at Barnes & Noble for whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll pick this up. My version of the movie is not 75 minutes long. long It's 105 minutes long. How? What a great question. I don't know. And so this is the only... And and at the the end of the movie, you've got the timestamp... You can see that it is a hundred. It is an yeah. hour and forty-five minutes. It's not. It's not just a fault on no, the, the labeling on the back. No, it's not. And Sherlock Junior. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. Yeah. I'm not, what was that for you? Yeah, it was the first time I'd seen both of them. Okay. Well, this. Okay. So this was the second time that I've seen the General. Okay. And it didn't strike me as anything weird the first time that I saw it, but in terms of prepping for this podcast, Sherlock Junior. was the first one I watched. And the one thing I will definitely say about Sherlock Jr. is I didn't lose focus. The story kept me interested and, you know, it's not captivating in a very serious way. I'm still enjoying it. I'm following what's going on. And it's also not a very big commit. It's 40 45 minutes. Yeah. But the general felt so much longer the second time I watched it. And I got about 10 minutes in and I, I just realized it's literally moving too slow. The disc itself must have been slowed down because I played clips of the general on YouTube and they were moving at a speed that I would recognize as a more lifelike, realistic speed against my copy of the movie playing at normal speed and everything looks like it's maybe playing at 75%. Interesting. And this whole idea of copyright comes up because they are public domain. You can add whatever music you can do whatever you want to to these movies and i know that probably affects how you watch them because certain versions of the movie are going to have different pieces of music playing over it which can totally change the way that you view the movie so that for the second half of the general i had i clicked the speed to go faster to what seemed like a more realistic speed and it felt right finally although i couldn't hear any music now because 
I was was going faster. I don't know why. I feel like I need to bring that up. This idea of public domain and, and who's got the rights to the movies. And what people can do with it. Exactly. Because change it. my and copy of The General is it, a piece of shit. Well, it's just wrong. It's it's off. It added 40 minutes to a movie. And that's... that. I'm not, I won't lie. That's That affected my view of the movie. Versus Sherlock Jr., which is not only shorter anyway, but I feel like it just clips along. That and the effects and the editing of him going into the movie, going through the screen and being a part of it. I was just more impressed with, with Sherlock Jr. anyway. Well, so was I. But before we get to whether or not they should be in the book or not. Because we're not there yet. No. Should we, uh, should, we, uh, should we enlighten our listeners with the plot? Absolutely. Which one would you like to take? I'll, I'll take Sherlock Jr. Okay. So Sherlock Jr. is about a young man who is a projectionist and a janitor at his local theater uh, who has aspirations of becoming a detective. In fact, the first time you see him, he's wearing the false mustache and uh, reading from a book called How to Be a Detective. The book really, really gives away what he's trying to do. Yeah. Uh, it's a good little side gag. He's in love with this girl... And uh, he wants to impress her by buying an expensive box of chocolates, a four-dollar box of chocolates. Which you know, this is 1924. I mean, that's some serious bread. This movie had a not great view of women. I know it's an old movie, right. but yeah, and some slight racial undertones as well. The the villainous character being called the Sheik. Yeah. Okay, we'll skip over that. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so he's he's fighting with the sheik for the daughter's affections, and the sheik steals her father's pocket watch, pawns it so that he can buy the expensive box of chocolates, and then frames our young Sherlock wannabe for the crime, and he is ejected from the house. He ends up following the sheik, going back to um, the cinema, and he falls asleep uh, in the projector's booth. Now, what happens is this this great little piece of editing that you mentioned where he they've over overlapped the frame so he's still sat there but then he stands up in his dream walks out and becomes a part of the movie and the movie that is playing mirrors what's happening in real life with this detective character who comes in because you know the this this wealthy man's safe has been broken into and again they're trying to frame him for it um and then it it, it ends up in this this whole great chase sequence and then you know, I won't spoil the end of the movie for you, but I'm sure you can imagine what happens, you know, the name being cleared and things like that. So the work in this movie is is wonderful. I The two bits of physical comedy that I really, really enjoyed were when he jumps through the window... Into the disguise. Into the disguise. That is brilliant. Is just impressive. And that goes back to all that training exactly. that he must have had as a child yep. on, on the stage with his dad. Actually, while we're talking about his dad, his dad is in this movie. He's actually in both of them. He's in both of them, yeah. yeah. So it's nice to, to get his dad involved. He's in bringing that. his dad in. That's good. Yeah. 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 Considering how much his dad supposedly hated movies. Yeah. Must have came around at some point. I'm sure the money held. I'm sure it did. Um, And the other bit that I really enjoyed was when he jumps through his his aid in the movie yeah gillette yep that was that was stunning that was awesome i I stopped the movie and rewound it to rewatch that did you read up about how they did it yeah and i guess it's it's a technique that his father actually perfected yeah so there's a uh the actor lays 
horizontally on a board, and he's got the the false legs, and then there's the the suitcase, yep. which is cut away, and then he just falls forward, giving the impression that he was standing there the whole time, yeah. which is fantastic. That's... But apparently took quite a lot of time to get right. Oh, I'm sure. That's a tricky, yeah, yeah. complicated bit to do. There's some insane timing involved yes. in that. Oh, and just just speaking of timing and and this will come up more in the general but the scary real stunts going on that bit where the security pole is high oh, up and he and rides he... it all the way down into a moving car yeah that's fantastic and not only does it look great but it's so finessed it looks like he barely even tried no no it's so effortless and that that stone face that he has really helps sell the the moments where you're like this guy's gonna die but he's so oblivious to he very nearly did there's that right before my favorite title title card in the movie as a detective he was all wet there's the the water fountain bit where there was a far more water than they were expected falls on him and he falls back and he gets up and he just walks away. Well, in reality, he fell back and hit him, hit his neck on some sort of steel rod or something. There was something behind him, some piece of metal that he hit his neck on. Actually broke his neck. Yeah. And uh, didn't know it for about nine years or so when he went into an X-ray. And went, you broke your neck nine years ago. You know, he and, was having blinding headaches. Yeah, I was going to say, like he complained that. of headaches for yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, yeah, it finally it, came out. It's because you broke your neck. Yeah. <laughs> Tough bastard. Yeah, and then and went on to do, you know, here we're overlapping the movies a little bit, but the bits in the general where he's throwing huge pieces of wood that don't look light, like throwing them in the air and over train cars. Yeah. Years after breaking the vertebrae in your neck, that is insane. Yeah. So I we can't take anything whether regardless of whether we like the movies or not, we can't take anything away from Buster Keaton just as. Not just as a performer, but just as a badass. I couldn't agree with that anymore. And and that's why I keep coming back to this idea of impressed versus entertained. Yeah. Because I can say, without a doubt, that I am impressed by Buster Keaton in both of these movies. Yeah. What he well, did is... It's, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, even as we're sitting here, Sherlock is growing on me more and more, if I'm honest. And I think it's more of a charming film. Yeah. Yeah, there's something slightly endearing about it. So, so uh, let's, we're going to keep cutting back and forth. Talking about the general. So, uh, in the general, we have Buster Keaton playing Johnny Gray. He is a train conductor of the general. And we find out that, of course, he's got another, he's got a lovely lady that he's also trying to woo. And we are right on the cusp of the Civil War. And everybody's enlisting. The woman that he's trying to woo finds out that her brother's going to enlist. He's going to be the first one. And it's this very proud thing to go and enlist and fight. So, of course, Buster Keaton wanting to, wanting to impress her, he goes. He's the first one in line. He's the first one to sign up. Which is a great... That's actually probably my favorite sequence of the movie is that little opening bit where he's, like, fighting to get to the He keeps of cycling through. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they won't take him. And not because of anything he's done wrong. They There's a title card that says he's more useful to us as a conductor. So they won't put him in the army. And, of course, that looks bad to the lady that he's trying to woo. Yeah, she's a total jerk about it. Don't talk to me until you're in a uniform. 
I think is what the title card says. And so we cut a couple years later, maybe just a year later, we're in the midst of the war and shenanigans ensue. I mean, there's a really, really long train chase sequence. And ultimately uh, what happens is our dear lady friend who he's trying to woo is kidnapped might be a strong word, but she ends up being taken by she's just collateral damage as these union guys are trying to hijack his train exactly yes so the union guys have control of her and he happens to see her he breaks her free they escape there's some again some extended train chase sequences with some very impressive bits of throwing wood and having the water get them and ultimately johnny gray is a hero he helps kind of round up the troops and the Confederates, which is always still kind of have trouble with this whole con- cheering on the Confederate. It's not nearly as bad as Birth of a Nation. Or Gone with the Wind. But you do kind of go, hooray, Johnny Gray did it. We love the Confederates for some reason. And at the end of the movie, Johnny Gray, who at one point could not get into the army, not only gets in, but I believe he's made a lieutenant. Yeah. And he ends with this very funny bit of kissing his girl and saluting all of the soldiers that walk by. That's it. That's the general. I mean, I definitely cut bits out, but a lot of what happens is extended train chase sequences. And Buster Keaton himself said it was his proudest film, stating that I took an actual happening from the history books and I told it in detail. Well, I'm going to say you probably told it in a little too much detail. As far as that train sequence is, the, both train sequences are concerned. And again, I'm impressed because these are real trains. Yeah. That there are moments where... Oh, no, they're super dangerous. How did this that, train not run him over? Yeah, there's the bit where he's sitting on the cow catcher yep. and he's pulling the rail ties that they have used to block the train in. And he's balancing one of them and there's another one, but he can't hold both of them. And so he's got to use the one to bounce the other out of the railway yeah. otherwise it's going to derail the train and probably kill him which it would have really done in real it's one of the most dangerous things i've seen in film so i can't again i can't take that away from him oh no I, and again and knowing what we know now with like a broken he neck, did it with a broken neck <laughs> and so we can't exactly we can't discredit nor do we want to the work that buster keaton did I think that he could have done The General in the same amount of time that he did Sherlock Jr. Absolutely. There's no reason for it to be over an hour. I I do got to say, though, that as impressive as the General crashing, the bridge collapsing, the train crashing in the water is, I found all the physical bits more impressive than... Then the final stunt, the big final, we're going to actually crash this yeah. this train into the river. Because I'm not, I mean, I love an action movie. I don't mind a bit where there's a, you know, plane crashing and a huge explosion, something that's way over the top that isn't what it would really look like. And that's one thing I appreciate about the sequence is this is before any pyrotechnics. This is legit a train crashing into a river below. Right. And that train was there for... 20, 20 years? years before they pulled it out for scrap metal for use during World War II. And and not only is it fun to kind of know that that train crash was real, but this was filmed in Cottage Grove, Oregon. So it's still in our Pacific Northwest roots. Hey. That town apparently I I want to say the entire town took the day off 
to come watch it to go watch to go watch that that train crash and apparently that there was a dummy used at one point that was very realistic so some people thought somebody had actually died because the dummy looked real enough from a distance that they thought somebody actually rode the oh, train down into the water which of you those people I'm sure you were freaking out yeah. Well, there, and there's a great picture on uh, on its Wikipedia page as well, where somebody has uh, had created a mural to them. I don't know if you found that or not. It was a really nice mural that somebody had done on the side yeah. of a building with him on the front of the train. Well, and that's you know that the entire film was was done there, yeah. and because those were the only train tracks that could still support an original or a, a train of an engine of that period. Yeah, I guess is why they went up there, and they wanted to get the real general. Which, when they found out the the script was a comedy, they said know, the no. people that owned it were like, "No, you can't have that." I wonder. Do you think he? Do you think he would have tried to crash the general if he had gotten it? I think at that point in his career, I think he had been so let off the leash that he might have. Because this was this was a huge financial failure. It really was for Metro Pictures, and that's why they kind of reeled him in, and and what kind of derailed his career there for a little bit. Pardon the pun. Oh, hey, there it is. And Buster Keaton seems to have had some, despite how impressive his physical bits were, his decision making sometimes seem seems to have been questionable. And not just with how much how over budget the general went and how much of a financial disaster it was. Did you hear sort of the the reason why he almost didn't want to work with Fatty Arbuckle on Sherlock Jr.? Yeah, Arbuckle kind of got a little bit out of control, didn't he? So Keaton initially hired uh, Fatty Arbuckle as his co-director, and this is after Arbuckle went through the whole thing with the the child abuse scandal. Well, and that's so that was that was it was it was still recent enough that um it wasn't it was it was uh he was he well he was falsely accused of raping a woman, but obviously I don't think the falsely part had been proved yet, and so. Fatty Arbuckle is still living in this world of potentially being a rapist. And so, but Buster Keaton obviously was friends with Fatty Arbuckle. Fatty Arbuckle kind of getting him into the business. So it's Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton trying to help a friend, but a questionable friend who at the time was going through some horrible PR stuff. Yeah. It'd be like trying to get Kevin Spacey or Louis C.K. to do something now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You, you can see that there's talent there, but do you really want to go down that path right now? So, you know, I'm sure if TMZ would have been around back then, that would have been a... Oh, huge. It would have been t- awful. And he wasn't the only questionable figure that was in uh, Keaton's life. There was also uh, Clyde Bruckman, who... Uh, was Frequent his, collaborator. Yeah, one of his writing partners. Well, uh, he wasn't... Keaton wasn't the only one to go through some financial distress and and being shut out by the studios Bruckman was as well but of his own really of his own making more so than I think Keaton was because Bruckman kept stealing gags and and things like that for TV shows that he got into big trouble in the 1950s on the Abbott and Costello show for recycling a lot of old Harold Lloyd gags and Harold Lloyd eventually took him to court for it and left him completely destitute and bankrupt and you know, the sad end of that story is Bruckman actually borrowed Keaton's revolver went into a bathroom of uh, some Hollywood restaurant and killed himself. So, I, sorry to bring the mood down. No, I, I that's I was unaware of that. Oh, yeah. Well, it shows how harsh this business is. Yeah. And I mean, I remember reading about playwrights and actors 
way back in the day, Eugene O'Neill, and how often they would drink and their their moods were so affected by what they were doing, good or bad. And it's always sad to hear that somebody takes their own life. But to do it in the world of what you love doing. Yeah, I really just brought the mood down. Anyway, let's cycle back to Sherlock Jr. Let's do it. Uh, do you have a favorite favorite sequence in the film? I mean, it has to... I have like three favorites. Oh, go cool. Go for it. I think... Little sidebar. I just got done doing a stint teaching uh, physical movement theater up at Western Washington University. And movement is something I, I take really seriously as an actor. Because we can convey a lot of emotion through our bodies. So I am mightily impressed with the physicality of not only him jumping through the window and into the costume, but also the bit where he jumps through the his Gillette, yeah. through the through the fence and, and, and he escapes. But then cinematically, I I love the whole bit with him up on the screen at being edited into different scenarios and him, you know, being right where he needs to be for the next the next it's image. It's so seamless. It's wonderful. It's, well, it's perfect. We're gonna we'll find that we'll find that clip and we'll put that up on our Facebook and Twitter page because because we can. It's because we can exactly. But it's so good. It yeah. is really impressive. And again, not just because it you know of what they can do in the twenties, but because it is legit an impressive feat. What about you? It's it's either that the 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 sequence where he enters the screen, or I also really like the explosive pool ball sequence. Now you did you read that he he learned to do yeah all of those trick shots. It, it took him like five days, I think, which is impressive in itself. Yeah, either that or it either took him five days to learn how to do it, or they spent five days filming it. It took five days to film it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, here it is. He he practiced for four months with a pool expert, and then it took five days yeah. to shoot it and there cut it go. together. The one thing I'll say about the pool scene is, do they know how to play pool? Because even if he makes every one that is his color, he doesn't he doesn't make he doesn't shoot all of the balls in. No. So I was a little confused with what game no, is it, billiards. Is it, bill, is were, it billiards? Maybe he's playing. I don't know. I don't know the the rules. I guess I don't either. I know the I know the the two ways that I've ever played it, and neither of them are one where you you put you make every single ball. Right. So I was a little confused by. But I was I was. Spellbound by it. Just oh, watching him make those trick shots again, was incredible. Impressive. Yeah, it's what he does is impressive. Yeah. Um, what about the general? Do you have any favorite shots in that? I think my my favorite sequence in the general, honestly, because it it's so hard to for it was so hard for me to like the general based on the fact that I've got a root for the Confederates. Yay. Yeah. Uh, I like the um, I like the beginning and the, why they refuse him because of his occupation and him fighting to get to the front of the line. That's I like the beginning, and that's about it. Other than maybe the the, the physicality of the, the the rail tie sequence, where he's like I mentioned, he's got to bounce one out with the other. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, how how impressive that was. Right. There's also another questionable sequence in the general, um, where the 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 young woman that he's rescuing, Annabelle Lee. Annabelle Lee. She uh, doesn't want to help him keep fueling the train, getting her hands dirty with the wood and the furnace or something like that. So she starts sweeping the inside of the rail car, and then he proceeds to choke her. Like, what is happening here? I don't know. 
Did people find this funny back in the day? Is that is that what passes as comedy? Well, and am I being too much of a prude? No, I don't know. Well, I'm also confused by. <laughs> well, he chokes her and then he kisses her. Well, it's not just yeah. That, I mean, that's a weird, awkward moment that in today's world, obviously is is viewed with a, a different lens. Right. But also, like they both get stuck in a bear trap at one point. Yeah. And how? Did they not lose limbs? Yeah. Either it's a weak-ass bear trap or they're just superhuman strength because I don't quite understand how they the, – the next scene where he's carrying her in the bag and trying to pretend that she's a piece of cargo, how nobody's bleeding profusely. Yeah. And that's a very fair point. That's the magic of cinema, people. I guess. Yeah. Don't don't question the logic. And I do also like the scene where he's under the under the table – that... And, he, and he looks out through the one guy has burnt a hole in the tablecloth with the which, dude, you do burning a hole in the tablecloth. That's rude, man. That is probably but, my favorite part of the yeah, movie. Yeah, where and he's looking through the hole and he he's, sees her. He's and, trying to hide and there's all the funny bits with the shoes and stuff. Yeah, the and, shoe and, like and kicks him in the face. Exactly, yeah. and they actually lift up. They actually look at the hole and like they're like, oh well, we won't forget about it. And you can see that he's totally exposed. Yeah, and he just happens to see her through the hole. That's. I think that's a clever bit of filmmaking and, and yeah. funny with the, the side gag of him being under the table. So if we haven't made it clear, I think that I can say without trepidation that I think we both really enjoyed Sherlock Jr. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say we both think Sherlock Jr. should be in the book and maybe not the general. That is am, my two cents. Am I about right? In yes. That? Yeah. Okay. I thought so. I figured we might come to the same conclusion on that because yay, Confederacy. And even taking that out, I mean, even if... Even taking that out, if it's the still sto- too damn long. If it was flipped, exactly. If it was flipped and they were Union soldiers and, of course, and it was Confederates that were the bad guys, I mean, sure, that makes it a little more historically easier to watch. Yeah. Because there was a critic, I think, who actually called him out on being on the wrong side of history that I, I found. I found that, too. Yeah. yeah. It's not that I'm so concerned about the Confederate stuff. It's just too long. And I think he could have done what he wanted to do in the same amount of time it took him to do Sherlock Jr. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. And you've heard us say this throughout the podcast. Buster Keaton is a sight to behold, and he is an impressive physical comedian and actor. It doesn't necessarily mean that his movies are wholly entertaining. I think Sherlock Jr. should be in the book because it clips along... It's only 45 minutes, and it's a fun, cheeky kind of humor. Yeah. Whereas the general, it's probably 20 to 25 minutes too long and doesn't quite find its niche. I don't quite know what kind of movie I'm watching. And, and tonally, it's kind of all over the place. Exactly. You know, the, the, the comparison that I, I draw when I'm watching the, uh, the general is actually a recent one that George Clooney directed, The Monuments Men. I never saw that. You didn't. Okay, so it's one of those movies that really wants to have its cake and eat it, too. It wants to be both a Coen Brothers film with that quick, witty... I mean, George Clooney, I imagine he he fancies himself the third Coen brother, but, I mean, he's really really not. He's not a terrible director. I mean, Good Night and Good Luck is an incredible film. It's a good movie, yeah. But he's, he's not very good at directing comedy, and especially in this case, where he wanted to make a film that was both very quick-witted and very dry and very funny, but he also has moments where he tries to go too serious with it, and it feels like at times he wants to make Saving Private Ryan. And and he can't find the balance between the two. And that movie seemed 
flawed in a sense that some movies try to cram as many well-known actors into it. Oh my god! Yeah, the to list. almost boost. Up, not to. It doesn't mean the movie's going to be good or bad, but there's this sense of you know, look at how many A-listers are in this movie. Well, it's like a Wes Anderson film, isn't it? Look at all my famous friends. Sure, but there are times where it works. Sure. Monuments Men, even from the trailer, looked like that was one that wasn't going to... Yeah, you got... Great that Bob Balaban is, is in a, a big A-list film like that, because he, he usually is just relegated he's, he's to He's a small, Wes Anderson guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Small bit parts in indie flicks. Nice to see him in something like this. But you kind of got John Goodman just because you could. Not yeah. because he needs to be in it. So, that's our feelings about Buster Keaton. An yeah. impressive physical comedian who makes... Good movies and not so good movies. We didn't mention that he's got two other movies in the book. Our Hospitality and Steamboat Bill Jr. I'm assuming some point down the road we'll probably just do one more Buster Keaton double feature and knock out his films. Yeah, hopefully we don't repeat ourselves too much. We'll we'll skip the history and just get right to the meat of what those movies are about. We'll get right into it. So I think uh, Sherlock Jr. can stay. But I mean, I'm not going to lose any sleep if the general in the next edition is is not there. I don't. Th- I think it's going to stay. I do too. I think it'll be in every edition of this book. Having said that, is there anything that you would replace the general with? Then maybe is there something that comes to mind? Well, don't necessarily worry about watching the general, but here is another great either silent film or something that does involve that sort of similar physical comedy. We we danced around it a little bit, but I think I would put in. One of the Jackass movies. Really? It's not for everybody, but neither is the general. You and have genuinely surprised me here. Here's the thing. As as we read earlier, the book was meant to incite a reaction, good or bad. Well, those films certainly elicit reactions. They do. And are you necessarily impressed with either of the stories from Sherlock Jr. or the general? Well, I, I appreciate that the general is pulled from history. And sure. It, it, it was a big deal to do... I mean, it's it's epic for the time. I wouldn't call it epic now, but it certainly is something of a historical epic, and the fact that people were willing to sit through that, I think, is a big deal. Uh, but And I, and in the, in the case of Sherlock, I like the playfulness of the plot. Sure. But I would say that the, these movies, for me at least, were the... I was most impressed with the physical comedy and the, the way that they shot the movie... Which is funny, because at the time, Sherlock was criticized uh, for being as funny as an operating room and for having way too many stunts in it. Yeah. Which is interesting to say in a movie that is as short as it is. Yeah. So, we have Buster Keaton in here. You know, I know we haven't talked about his other movies yet, but in Adam and Ian's version of the book, Sherlock Jr. is going to stay, the general's not. But if we still want to keep in a physical comedy movie and let's throw in something raunchy and new and not plot driven essentially just a series of bits i would put in any one of the jackass movies you don't have a you don't have a favorite of the three not necessarily there's bits in every single one that are funny i mean and there's the really short bits that are gross but there's some of the extended ones like i think it's in the first one where he rents the car they deck it out to go into a... Oh, I think that's the beginning of two. Okay, in, into the um, the demolition derby, yeah. and then he tries to return the car back to the dealership. Well, there's the incredibly clever stunt, and again, I think it's at the end of two, where they they play a prank on one of the guys who thinks he's playing a prank, so he does... He puts on the... He almost goes brown face and looks like he's of uh, some Middle Eastern descent. Right, and he's going to the airport, and the whole 
the whole bit is, oh, we're going to put him in a cab, but the cab driver doesn't know what's going on, and he's going to ask to go to the airport, and he's going to make sort of terrorist remarks yep. on the way to the airport and freak the cabbie out. Well, the cabbie is actually uh, a member of the Broken Lizard team. Yeah, Jade Chandasakar. I probably yeah. said that wrong, but it's something yeah. like that. Yeah, so he's the cabbie. He's in on it, ends up pulling over, holding him up at gunpoint, and throwing him into the car. And then once everything is revealed, there's a further reveal that the fake beard that he puts on is pube, <laughs> which is just unnecessary. It, it is. And, like, just even even just talking about it with you, I'm, I'm laughing. Yeah. And, again, I know that that humor is not everybody's cup of tea. No. But if we're looking for something to incite a reaction... It most definitely does. And you don't have to agree with me, but it's something that came up. Especially well, if, if we're talking about how Johnny Knoxville was, was inspired by Buster right. Keaton. And I think, again, that stunt is at the end of two as well, yeah. where he replicates the Buster Keaton, the, the facade of the house falling on him. I... I if I'm forced to choose, I'm going to put two in there, I think. Cool. Yeah. I'll just say two as well because I will agree. And I think I think one of them should be in there. Sure. Or we could just do what they did with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and say the Jackass trilogy and they can all go in. Yeah, why not? I don't know. It's Wonderful. not that big of a commitment. I mean, they're like 90 minutes each. Yeah. There you go. So cool. Uh, there we go. Sherlock Jr. is in. The General, not so much. But we would love to hear what you think. Would you put both in? Would you keep both out? What do you think of that final opinion? Hey-o. Um, so, hey, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can listen to us on Google Play and Spotify and iTunes. You guys are downloading and listening to us so much, and we are so appreciative. If you have the time, we would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. It's a big deal. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more exposure we get, and we want to keep doing this. So hey, I'm Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you again next week. 